0: Hey listener, thanks for joining us today. Today's guest is Tom Akel, one of the most connected and influential leaders in the comic industry. The projects he's touched over his career have come to delight fans over every medium imaginable, from producing Jersey Shore at MTV to leading Webtoon's stunning expansion as its former editor-in-chief, and now helping digitally native comics physically get into the hands of fans all over the world as the CEO of Rocket Chip Entertainment. We talked through his decorated experience in the media space and how it has shaped how he thinks about content and helping creators today, learned about what it was like in the earliest days of Webtoon when it was forming its identity and he was shaping its portfolio of content, and talked through Rocketship's mission and what to expect from it this year and beyond. We learned a ton from our conversation with Tom and hope you enjoy it too. Hey Tom, how are you doing? Good, good morning. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Uh, I'd love to dive right in, so tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do now at Rocketship.
1: I'm the CEO and co-founder of Rocketship Entertainment, which is primarily a graphic novel publishing company and tabletop publishing company. That is, uh, the majority of the work we put out are existing hit webcomics, and then there's various original titles that we do as well. Um, we've expanded quite a bit in the last couple of years. We started in 2019 with a partner. My partner in the company is Robert Feldman, who's our CTO and head of product, who I go back with um, probably 20 years. Um, we started basically on the, the thesis that a lot of these comics were having a hard time getting into print and that print publishers weren't really picking them up. Um, kind of started this in 2019 to see how it would go. And, uh, you know, we've, basically been, been doing it since in the last few years. Picked up global distribution from Simon & Schuster, picked up a fantastic international agent in Jabberwocky who also represent people like Charlene Harris and Brandon Sanderson and Vault Comics, um, have partnerships with Tapas and Legendary and Stanley Spine Entertainment, um, and probably uh, more to come, I think, that I can't talk about yet, but uh, soon.
0: Well, we're looking forward to those uh, announcements. <laughs> what got you into comics in the first place?
1: I feel like like anybody in the industry, I grew up on them, right? So, um, you know, very vivid memories of uh, at first my parents giving me their comic collections of you know whatever they had lying around that survived their childhood, uh, reading those, and then uh, I think when we, we moved around a couple a few times when I was young, really young, uh, and then when we settled in where we where I, where I grew up uh, in my in my youth on the island. Um, there was a comic shop opening up recently right up the street from our house. So that became a, a weekly destination, you know. So it was there, begged my parents to take me in and then just buying comics every week all the way through, you know, from grade school to high school, um, you know, all the way through, you know, the big image boom and, and like everyone, you know, Marvel, DC, and at the time, the Indies then were like first comics, a lot of Judge Dredd in 2000 AD stuff, um, you know, wasn't a lot of manga in the States at that time, but certainly had the whole collection of Worm of a Cub, uh you know but, dude, I, I feel like if you speak to anybody my age in comics we're all gonna have the same story about, about
0: that <laughs> well your career is very interesting I, it's one of my favorite recent LinkedIn stocks I just love <laughs> how non-traditional it is and how many twists and turns it takes and I'd love to understand how the beginning really influenced where you are now so right out of school from what I saw you were a professor is that right
1: Well, not exactly. So (laughs) going back a million years out of undergrad, I worked at, which isn't on my LinkedIn, uh, even though I was there for a couple of years, uh, I worked at Publishers Clearinghouse. It's just so long ago, I don't keep it on the resume anymore, Uh, (laughs) but uh, I was in marketing there and it was sort of working there. And I really love the people I work with, but the work itself, I didn't enjoy. And I think that was, uh, and I knew I always loved content and entertainment and I had double major in marketing and film at Long Island University um, for undergrad And after a couple of years of doing, you know, being a marketing analyst, I realized I really, really hated it. I I enjoyed doing marketing to some extent, but that as a career for me was not a fit and I wound up leaving, but that was the first impetus for me to sort of try to explore how to get back into entertainment. And then from there, took on odd jobs, taught myself, HTML and web design and Photoshop and Illustrator uh, just on the side before I could eventually build up enough of a portfolio to Taking continuing classes and and get into a school like Parsons. And then out of Parsons, um, I taught when I was teaching. That was at the same time as that I worked at
0: Viacom. How was your experience at Viacom? So it it seems like you worked on a lot of mobile apps, mobile design at that time. What was that like?
1: That was awesome. I see
0: a lot of parallels today
1: uh, in what's happening in technology to that time in uh, the very nascent days of mobile media because when i started there i was the first uh you know head of content for a senior producer for back of the letter term of uh mobile for a brand like that before that there was just the the, the uh, my supervisors who had brought me in to viacom were overseeing like you know kind of broad strokes of the business you know, getting deals done. With, with Virgin Mobile back when that existed and things like that Mm. and and producing some content. And then I was the first dedicated producer to oversee a brand at Comedy Central. Um, And you're talking like slide phones, flip phones, you know, Snake was a popular game at the time. If you're, you know, I mean, J2ME and Brew apps. I mean, this was super, super early days. So uh, it was awesome. I mean, I, I love being, you know, a part of, you know, bleeding edge technology like that, you know, especially as it, you know, converges with content because it was just every week was kind of something new. You know, it was like, oh my God, the phones are going to have video capabilities now. Verizon VCast is launching. What are we doing? Are we producing new stuff? Are we going to get the Daily Show on there? You know, and then, you know, what new games can we do? All right, the com- capabilities have increased. And, you know, across the board doing ringtones and wall- everything, ringtones, wallpapers, SMS apps, IVR apps, you know, Brew and J2ME apps and games. You know, the, I produced the first ever streaming app, I think in the US. Um, wow. It was a Brew and j 2 em app for uh, Comedy Central, it was called Comedy Central Takeout. Uh, And that was, you know, super, super early on before, you know, where we are now, obviously, where that's the (laughs) dominant form of uh, video consumption,
0: right? What was it like to be on the bleeding edge of technology and content? I guess, maybe to start, what was it like working with all these different parties? Because I'm sure on the content side, people were like, well, TV and cable are the king for us right now. And you're looking at all these things that are coming out and thinking about the shift. So what was that like?
1: Uh, you know, in any giant organization like that, you know, you, you guys were at the Atlantic, it's sort of like, it can be challenging and fun at the same time, right? Because you're you're spending a lot of time doing education to, to a lot of your colleagues who don't understand the space, you know, and even though it was very, very successful and we're making, generating a, a lot of revenue for the company, it's still at the time, you know, it, it is small in comparison to something like the scale of, of a network, right? Right. Um, Uh, And anything disruptive, which, you know, mobile was extraordinarily disruptive (laughs) to the television industry, Um, you know, is going to be met with with some level of resistance, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say, like, it wasn't that people didn't want to do this. Everyone was excited about it. It was always just sort of like, what's the balance, right, between what we're going to do here and what we're going to do online and what we're going to do on air, uh, so navigating that, and especially with a big brand like that, that had at the time, you know, a, few, a couple of mega hits uh, on air. Um, that becomes, that becomes tough sometimes. Whereas like it's spike a little easier because uh, they frankly just didn't have the mega hits. Um, so once, when, when it a smaller network, it was a little bit easier to sort of get people on board with like, well, let's try this. And everyone's like, yay, throw it at the wall. Um, but um, yeah. And then the, the sort of other, the flip side to that was with the consumers um, which like, this is another place where I see a lot of parallels with, with technology today is that uh, it, it's funny because I follow the NFT market and particularly the, the ideas of the scams. Right. Um, and there's, there's, I think probably there's this obviously articulates this in sort of two schools is there's the scams around what NFTs are as a, just as a, as a product in a, in a, Monetary vehicle, and then there's people actually stealing other people's content and throwing it up as an yeah. NFT and selling it, and those, you know, which is uh, those people should be prosecuted. Uh, but that reminds me very much of the early days of mobile content when we were doing subscription apps, um, and there was you had to, you know, you'd have someone uh, sell, we would have Joke of the Day subscription app on Comedy Central, and then somebody else would have Joke of the Day subscription app from who knows who this person is? And they would trick you into charging six ninety nine dollars a day, you know, and you have to triple opt out of this thing through some convoluted, you know, mechanism to make sure you're not getting ripped off. Um, and there was a lot of that happening in the early days of mobiles. So like, you know, I, I see a lot of that now as like technology is shifting more into like the NFT space and the crypto space, which I think is inevitable. But, um, you know, that time for content was, was really, really similar. Uh, just that, we didn't have social media to sort of amplify voices around it.
0: After Spike and Comedy Central, you worked at MTV for a while. What was your role like there?
1: That was great. So at MTV, I was executive producer. For initially, I came on to do. Uh, it was just called the shows team, which meant the shows on the network, uh, which was every show on the channel outside of the the tent poles, meaning uh, the VMAs and movie awards, which had a complete separate team for those events. Um. That was great. I mean, we were doing the same thing, apps, games, original series, behind the scenes, you know, working much more closely than I had at Comedy and Spike with the showrunners um, and the on-air development teams to create all the content you would see for every single show on the network. Um, it was pretty it was pretty expansive, and then my role there grew very quickly to include the online virtual team, online games, and then eventually MTV Geek and MTV Comics. And so I had, a, I had a pretty large group um, and we got to do, but, you know, at the time it's, you know, looking back it's one of those things where it's like sad that none of that's there anymore online. Um, obviously, you know, the industry changed, um, but uh, the stuff that we had up there at the time, that was a really special time, I think, in, in online content.
0: That's, the, that's a super cool experience. What was it like to work with the, the showrunners to think about you know, all the different content that's being produced and where consumers can access it. That was, that was
1: awesome. I mean, um, you know, some of my, you know, my best experiences there were working on shows like Teen Wolf and Jersey Shore, um, you know, working directly with Jeff Davis on Teen Wolf was awesome. Um, you know, these shorners were really excited and collaborative. Uh, you know, no one was precious about anything uh it was mostly new shows uh you know something like jersey shore obviously was a massive hit but we were working on it before people thought it would even have a this first season would survive right very early on so you know the showrunners always wanted to they understood the value that the digital teams would bring so it was pretty easy to you know have them on board with all these crazy ideas we'd pitch um so it was was very collaborative like you know, we'd come in with a laundry list of things we want to do. Uh, and then it would be what's it would basically be like, well, what's feasible? Um, that yeah. doesn't interrupt actually producing a show. You know, so outside of that, that was literally the the only requirement we ever really had, you know, was what can we do or not do? Um, as long as, you know, we still have to shoot this show in 10 weeks in this location with these actors and we can't break them for these days and they have work or for the reality show, it's a little bit more flexible than the scripted. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome.
0: And you mentioned uh, MTV Comics, which I believe you started. So how, how did that get kicked off the ground?
1: So my supervisor at the time, uh, I, you know, my office was filled with toys and comics. <laughs> so, and then um, at Spike specifically like Comedy Central, I kind of worked a little bit with people who were on the fringes of comics but uh, at Spike we did a lot so I wrote and produced and directed Stanley's ringtones and produced and directed Rob Kirkman's uh, Battle Pope animated series Um, did some work with Arcana comics uh, some work with some of the Marvel guys um, and and obviously uh, Spike had the Scream Awards so um, was much more involved in the comic space in my time at Spike and then once i went over to mtv i was still at all those connections and we produce original content sometimes it would uh you know we would kind of reach back out to companies i'd worked with previously for something so you know we did uh, the company's not around anymore but the world leaders entertainment who were the original uh, was the original animation company behind Venture brothers before they closed up and moved to titmouse they were the ones who produced uh, the battle clip series right so if we need animation done we would always lean back into my contacts because the MTV team was always very internal, and we did have inside an uh, awesome team of uh, you know inside producers, directors, and editors, um, internal team. But um, we'd be able to leverage the connections that I had developed in you know the four years in the well, it was called the entertainment group uh, where Comedy and Spike set in the organization. So bringing all that in and then seeing sort of an office full of toys and comics. <laughs> oh oh, and, and one thing I think that really sort of helped with that is that it's, it's oh it's downstairs. Uh, I have a big rack from DC Comics that they sent me once because we bought uh, for Comedy Central Mobile for the joke of the day or one of those apps. We bought the back covers of all the DC books one month or to see how it would get, you know drive you know uh, subscriptions. And uh, they sent over like a rack full of stuff as a thank you. So I always had it in my office. So you know, my boss at the time was, you know, like, well, can we? We were growing into all these new areas as a brand. It was a real period of growth uh, for MTV specifically. Uh, especially when ratings go up, everything else, everything kind of, all boats rise when that happens, right? Um, and asked what can we do with this, and I was like, well, if you're serious, um, I'll put something together. So MTV Comics came to birth. With MTV Geek hand in hand, those two concepts were were, were in one uh, business plan.
0: From there, you, you got that off the ground, and from there, how did you make your transition over to Webtoon? Oh, I left MTV
1: God, like, late, the very end of 2013. Uh, we had made this, and then we had made the decision to move to Los Angeles. Um, so, I can't really discuss what I came out here for initially uh, because it didn't launch. Um, But, um, uh, and it's with well-known people in the space, but um, I was doing something here and we had run into a stumbling block with funding that was lined up and looked like was going to fall through. And when that happened, it was like, okay, I got to interview for a job. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I had a few different opportunities at the time. Um, I had never heard of Webtoon. Um, They weren't, they had barely been here um, and got introduced to them through Stanley's company, having done so much work with with Stan over the years. So they put me in touch with uh, Webtoon and kind of on a just, you know, conversation with my wife is like, I have an opportunity at like this huge digital company that everybody knows this massive entertainment brand that everybody knows and these are really cool gigs for this thing that no one's ever heard of but if it's what they're describing to me in the interviews could be something special and new and that's more exciting to me and that's so, that, so i accepted the offer
0: so at that time like you said um obviously webtoon has been big in east asia and uh in korea especially uh it was starting to gain popularity in the west but it was still very new do you mind giving us a little bit more context about where Webtoon was historically at this time? Oh, in the US. I mean, no one had heard of it. It had, uh, you know, I can't remember if
1: we even had 10,000 daily active users when I started. I mean, it was really, really small, smaller than, you know, the smallest website we ever had at Viacom. You know, when I left, we were up to a million DAU, um, you know, in that three and a half year period that I was there. So, um, no, it was, uh, you know, it was really small. It was mostly... Titles that were localized from the Korean app, which is actually a completely separate build. The Korean app and the English app are just different apps um, with different content. The uh, there was some originals happening in the U.S. through members of the Korean team, just kind of reaching out to creators and sort of like anybody who they would see be popular on like Tapas or some or or, uh, uh, Comico. Now Comico was one of the titles overseas uh the apps overseas it was go comics um and reaching out to those creators and just offering them deals to come over exclusively so there were a handful of creators uh in the app already but i was brought on specifically to you know to grow the u.s market and bring on more creators from build build up what became the now is called canvas what then was called the challenge league um (laughs) which was one my First tasks was to change internal tasks was like, we can't call it that, um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, you know, bring in more and more, uh, you know, existing like Western creators.
0: So is your sort of business goal to grow, like the usage of Webtoons in the US? Yeah, oh
1: yeah, I was specifically what
0: I was tasked with. Yeah. In terms of a metric standpoint, what, what, what sort of metrics did you look at to kind of guide you to make sure you were on track here?
1: The overall goal was always DAU, just DAU, DAU, DAU. How many people are using the app every day? Um, you know, it's fairly similar with a lot of sort of tech startups too, right? Uh, then you know, individually, you look at like weekly unique readers, yeah, you know, this it's no different than you would selling a comic in your local store. How many people are picking it up, looking at it? You know, that's that's the metric for success. Does it have eyeballs or not? Um, th- those were, you know, just from like a like a KPI perspective, that was pretty much it. Um, are the, do these titles have readership and is the DAU going north? Right.
0: Yeah, that is not an easy task. And you, you know, a hundred to a thousand X, would you say it ended at a million DAUs? By when, one I left it left? Was at,
1: when I left it was about a million. Yeah, we're at a million.
0: A million DAUs, which is crazy. So you had this behemoth of a task. I mean, how did you approach your job? What, what sort of things did you start to do and where did you begin?
1: I mean, the most immediate challenge wasn't about content. I think it was more about like the brand itself um, and the impression of the brand in the U.S. and how to position it properly um, to resonate with a youth U.S. audience. And then I had made a decision early on uh, to focus on a a female audience um, just because the U.S. comics market and, and those numbers are U.S. only. So, like, and the U.S. comic market was so heavily dominated by male content, as we we all know, uh, that there was clearly space, and there were certainly moments and examples of flashes of like, wait, women like this, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know. And having been at MTV, uh, you know, that's a network that that actually skews female. So, you know, I I sort of already had my head there. that was, that was one way to do it. The other was just sort of update the brand was like, all right, we can't call it challenge league. Um, that sounds like a, a sports, you know, fantasy league or something. Right. Um, we, we don't have any way to even message in the app, or, you know, what it means to go from a challenge league to at the time of a featured quote unquote featured series. Uh, you know, what does that path look like? What does monetization look like? It's confusing um so it was, a lot of it was bucking that up like rebranding it discover me just boots on the ground at a million conventions developed a like a handbook uh to hand out to creators that literally explained the brand it was bringing on a pr agency to start to set up interviews and kind of establish what we were um used some of my connections to legitimize webtoon in the us so that was stan lee mark silvestri um, for, like partnerships like that really early on like bringing some contacts of mine to to really just help solidify like, okay, this is real. I mean, there were a lot of panels with creators who were first approached before I came on who were like, is it a, is it a scam, <laughs> right? Like, um, you know, that kind of that kind of mentality because it was, you know, they get a mysterious email from someone they haven't heard of on the other side of the planet. They hadn't heard of the, the app and they're like, we'll pay you all this money to put your thing in there. And here's a contract and the contract's weird. And, you know, it's, so it was, there Web team wasn't big enough to like have to like combat like any kind of a scam mentality. It was more just like establishing this thing exists and it's real. And a lot of that was just me you know, walking around conventions too and like talking to people. I know here's what I'm doing now. Here's my card. You know, when you're ready to talk about doing something, you know, we'd, we'd love to work with you uh, on an original title. And a lot of that too is, you know, creators are, that took time too because, you know, creators rightfully are fickle about, where their content might live and uh, sort of resistant to be like, I'm gonna be on this thing no one's heard of. I don't want my stuff there. I wanna publish an image, right? Like, um, so it took a little time to like build that up. And, you know, that was a lot of convention presences. Um, You know, we did a really large exhibition at San Diego Comic-Con my first year, just being a few months in, we pulled that together fast uh, and took over. If you've been to San Diego, there's a restaurant called Lou and Mickey's that faces the convention center. Um, there's photos of this online, you can find easily. We took over that space um, for a weekend and then we did like a panel just for press where it was like Stan Lee, um, Michelle Fan, the YouTube who's got a massive YouTube uh, channel makeup line. Uh, uh, CB Sapolsky, because we were doing some stuff with Disney and uh, Mark Silvestri, because we were doing new, new uh, a new Cyberforce series. Uh, uh, and we, we did that panel in the venue only for press. Just those kinds of things, like to like try to just, you know, push the brand into the space. And then the second part of that, I think, is was like, not a redesign, but um, kind of just pushing, what's the aesthetic we're going for here, and uh, what brands are, what's the look of a brand that resonates? Because if you look at the really old Webtoon logo and the brand itself, and the old sites, it felt very cartoony. It didn't feel uh, young. It felt childish. Which, you know, that style works. In, in Japan and Korea, right? But in the United States, that's not, it, it was, it just skewed way too young. So it was just pushing like, here's a rebrand. Here's the kind of fonts that are going to work. You know, here's the kind of messaging. Here's how we have to structure some of the language. Um, and a lot of cleanup, right? Like a lot of the site just haven't been reviewed by, you know, an English speaking editor before. Um, so it was just, you know, fixing up stuff to just try and like, okay, now it's here. Now it's real. Now we're clean. Now people understand what it is. Now it's not called Challenge League. It's called Discover. Now people have this book. Now we're going to partner with Patreon and DeviantArt. We're going to announce those things. Okay, those are brands creators know and respect. Uh, And just kind of like, you know, one after the other, after the other, after the other, until we just had the thing in a place where after about a year, it was like, okay, what's Webtoon? And people start to like come to us and ask questions instead of just push, 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 right? And eventually it turned the corner from, Uh, most of the marketing being creator marketing to being consumer marketing.
0: Interesting. So it seems like it was more of, you know, a death by a thousand cuts kind of thing where you did a bunch of different things that built on one another rather than one massive thing that swayed people's minds. And by people here, I mean, the creators specifically. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it was, you you have to get everything in
1: place. There was no sort of just, you know, turn on the lights. You know, we did some contests, right. But the contests alone still had a cap on how many people would enter them. Um, And even those contests were really great opportunities and legit, you'd still go into a DeviantArt, you know, message board and see people, you know, talking smack about them, you know, kind of have to go back out and re-message like, no, 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 you're going to keep your rights. You're going to get paid really well, you know, you know, there's always the whenever there's a contest, it's always there looking for free work. And it's like, well, no, we're going to give you a bunch of money. And if the thing is good, this is your, this is what you're using to pitch it. That, I mean, you still have to pitch your stuff to image, right? And create a bunch of pages. They're not just like, hey, person I've never heard of, give me an idea and we'll make a comic, right? Like, so just that kind of mentality.
0: So it's one thing to, you know, get the brand in a place where things are set for you to start to produce content that resonates with the US audience. But now you have the task of actually, you know, picking and deciding what stories you're going to kind of back, what you're going to develop. I mean, that sounds. I'm sure it was incredibly challenging, but also a ton of fun. So, what was that like?
1: It was awesome. I mean, I got to reach out to lots of creators who I've always wanted to work with. A lot of creators who I'd previously worked with at MTV. Um, we had lined up for MTV Comics. Those com- like like Sanford Green's 1000 was an MTV comic. Eventually, we brought it over to Webtoon, um, and then you know, won best web comic at the Ringo Awards. Uh, so, and you know, same thing with like a Dean Haspiel who won the previous year best web comic the Hook awards for the red hook um we had done a partnership with his studio his digital studio called activate um with mtv geek uh so it was a lot of like getting to really explore in a more proper full-time comics role what could be done with all these creators who i always sort of wanted to work with and, and you know got content off the ground to some level at mtv and use leverage all the all of the relationships that we had, you know, built over the years at MTV Geek, because that was a very very big site. Um, that, you know, that had, uh, you know, about a million and a half uh, monthly average users um, by the time I left. So that piece was a lot of fun, a, a little bit stressful in that it was same thing, like education, 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 <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, a lot of obviously... The, the second piece of the brand, the brand issue aside is vertical scroll versus print. Right. And that's a whole mm, yeah. hour long conversation of its own. Um, but, <laughs> and then, you know, curating more content out of discover as it was called at the time, like pulling, you know, and, and putting together more sort of just processes in terms of like how we're going to read like content, what we're looking for. Um, you know, it, it, and it became something where we kind of, it got to be, uh, it was a little bit of a free-for-all for a while there in the beginning and just sort of, you know, structuring that so that, you know, we had like, eventually it was like, well, we're greenlighting enough content. What is the marketing, you know, we, we are reliant on the marketing team to some extent and we had a great marketing team there at the time. Uh, and it was, well, let's let the marketing team greenlight one series every time we do around the green lights. Um, and that's how Laura Olympus got greenlit. The marketing team chose Laura Olympus, which now is one of the biggest, most popular comics period digital and frank.
0: it's one thing for you to go to your, you know, existing relationships and be like, okay, I know these people are going to kick ass. Like they're going to come and make a great, uh, web for our platform. You mentioned, you know, how do we look for something? And it's interesting that you worked with marketing to pick Laura Olympus. So, uh, I'm curious, like, what would you look for to be like, okay, this is really going to resonate with the audience that we've started to understand from the marketing perspective.
1: So on platform, it's easier because when you're looking through discover canvas, you can see how frequently they're updating. Do they have traction? Do they understand the format? Is there like already a basic idea here that works? Um, You know, you can do a talent evaluation, uh, you know, the art and the writing. So it's it's much easier to see something when it's already being uploaded and gaining traction and be like, well, that clearly works. (laughs) Um, So let's pull that. So, you know, pulling content off Discover, you know, and obviously, you know, a lot of the huge hits have come from there. Like Let's Play, you know, came right out of Discover, but it was it was evident really early on how talented you know Leanne is, right? And and the series got traction very quickly. Um, that's not as hard as pulling content from other sources. So then, you know, the other place we get content was me, no joke, like scouring artist alleys, buying people's books that are unpublished, or talking to creators. I like that's how I met Monica Gallagher, right? Was uh. Um, i had bought i've oh got a blank on the name of it now i bought she had done a, a series of short comics that were actually already vertical um just page turns so you know just, just seeing that near comic-con i picked it up from her and then later on you know reached out um when we we're looking for an artist for a project that eventually became good with sex um then in the meantime we had done assassin mm-hmm. roommate yeah it's it's more about like is there consistency in what they're doing and what they're uploading. Is there an art style that we think is going to resonate with a 14 to 24 year old audience? Um, and then, you know, I would maintain a matrix of, you know, genres and content types that we're looking for and say like, all right, we got to plug these holes, right? So like, all right, do we have enough romance? Do we have enough action? And, you know, even though we were, we were intentionally skewing female, eventually we wanted to like, you know, steer the ship back into like, all right, now we want to be much broader and, and all encompassing in terms of genre and format. Well, not format, format's always always vertical, but in terms of genre. um, And I guess between like short form comedy and long form narrative, uh, which leads heavily long form narrative because that's easier to gain traction when you have a hook at the end of every episode to get back to. And then it was, again, just education with creators, you know, Um, a lot of it was You know, the the creators who upload it to Discover have more of a natural knack for this, I think, because they are already in it. So they're already used to reading everything on the platform because they're already there all the time. And they see how to build an episode up with a proper, basically, hook, right? So in terms of, like, pacing and cliffhangers, it's the same reason why we all wanted to binge Breaking Bad and why we binge Ozark or whatever it is that we're watching on TV (laughs) is, you know, what's that cliffhanger, what are you teasing, and then how are you structuring your story from week to week, you know, and you know, training the editorial team on that with a big board of, you know, your A storyline, your B storyline, your C storyline when this element gets introduced um, and just running through all that.
0: One last thing on Webtoon before we move over to Rocket Rocketship, uh, you mentioned the Patreon integration um, and you talk about, you know, or have talked about the importance of providing you know, more financial opportunity for uh, webtoon creators. So how did that integration come about and you know, what was like the genesis of it?
1: That was very early on. So that was, that was part of the challenge, what I'd call the challenge league problem was there was a branding messaging and monetization issue with what challenge league was. And it was and looking across the board. It was like, well, if I upload here, I can see if I upload on comiXology submit, I can see exactly how much money I can make. I understand how it gets to market. Um, and the issue we had with monetization and the Patreon integration was like, well, we don't have a way to monetize content. We had, There were no ads in the app at the time. So the app wasn't generating any revenue. This was all loss leader, the entire push for years. So for almost my entire time there, it was just a loss leader. The whole app, the whole uh, enterprise was a loss leader. Um, but we can't be asking people to upload here without any idea of how they can make money only with the vagueness of... I can go to featured and then I know I can make money, but I don't even know how that happens. So the idea of basically a tip cup idea or what Patreon was already doing was like, well, what if we can integrate something like Patreon into the app? So at least they can say they get this many, you can see, right? We could put the button right on the page, which we did. And we worked closely with Patreon. I'd go up there in San Francisco and, you know, they built an API, we put it into the app so we could display how many patrons you have and you can support your favorite creators. And then on top of that, we launched a program where, and advertised this heavily and same thing, I would go around this would be in the booklets I'd hand out. I would do panels at all the conventions about this was how if you upload and you hit these certain tiers, we will just pay you money. (laughs) <laughs> so you know there were creators making 500 bucks a chapter or a month or whatever it was at the time you know i think the initial pool that we put out there we didn't even touch this number what was like three and a half million dollars or something um you know and, and a bucket of a bucket of money for creators to just go get uh, and that that's what really helped build that because you know without the patreon piece you know i think challenge league no matter what we called it and how we branded it, it would still sort of flounder because it was always going to be like like well, i don't understand how i can make money here
0: well, from there, you spent three years at Webtoon and you start your own thing, Rocketship. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the problems you're trying to solve for comic creators with Rocket Ship?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that was, you know, sort of painfully evident <laughs> when I was at Webtoon is that a lot of the industry still didn't respect it at the same level as print comics, which was really frustrating, right? Because, you know, it, now that that myth has been dispelled right but like at the time it was no one believed these titles were at the same level we'll say as anything coming out from the western traditional publishers and uh, therefore it was really difficult to get western publishers to think about webtoons as something to publish at the same time webtoon internally had no interest in print publishing i'd brought it up a million times and was pushing it hard but couldn't get traction internally either um so the company didn't want to do it <laughs> that was one thing um and the print publishers weren't, weren't interested in it and you don't know, they mean you know even outside of webtoon there have already been hundreds of massive hit web comics at the same tier as the top series on webtoon you know like a lot of them, the dinosaur comics and heart and brain and cyrus scribbles were already massive hits uh you know also well, i think heart and brain came along while we were there but you know what i mean like there's tons and tons of you know, order the stick right that was when i was at mtv geek that did like a one point something million dollar kickstarter if i recall um so there's always there always have been these massive massive hit web comics that just don't seem to be taken seriously by print publishers or put into print and then the creators themselves especially the web comics creators by and large there are certainly those who like mick who build their own empires right but don't have their head around like all right well I want to put this into print what is, what goes into that how do I pitch it can I do it myself or any of that so it was sort of you know kind of providing those services and then the, the third problem was the webtoon series specifically uh, even though we we publish other web comics outside of webtoon but like the webtoon series were by and large done in this vertical format and reformatting that for print is no joke
0: <laughs> it's yeah, very
1: geez. it's a real it's a real challenge um, so again, that's a service we provide as a publisher to, to creators who already have that there. They don't have to do it themselves unless they, if they want to, by all means, go for it. But um, it's something we do, and we do a lot of it.
0: You mentioned that a lot of these publishers will take a webcomic and almost not take it seriously. Why do you think that is? What is, what, what is it about the mentality of these publishers that kind of stop them from taking these very successful pieces of IP or stories and not printing them? Well, I think that's, I think that, that's changed in the last three years. Uh, so I don't I don't think that's the case anymore. I mean,
1: everyone has seen how successful the Kickstarters have been for Let's Play and for a lot of the other uh, properties we put out. Everybody's seen how successful things like Cyrus Scribbles, Sarah Anderson's books have been, like Fangs, right? Um, people see what the Sedgics are doing uh, with Top Cow, those all web comics if they're top sellers. Um, I think they post this primarily on DeviantArt, but they throw them up everywhere. Uh, and, and obviously, Laura Olympus is a bestseller. So I think there's a lot of sort of now there's a lot of proof because rocket ship exists and has sort of been explaining that, you know, I've been out there talking about this and doing interviews and articles about it, panels at comic cons. It's sort of, Oh, okay. This is sort of real now and creators are talking about it. And people now look back at something like, you know, we published the awkward Yeti, Lars, the awkward Yeti, but he already published his heart and brain with Anders McNeil. And it's like, wait, Nixon, New York times, bestselling author already, you know, like, Oh, Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of like, I think, that's we're we're past that now so but at the beginning of it i think it was the same problem as it was in the industry it was just oh it's a webcomic oh they've already read it online it won't do well in print oh you know and then internally at webtoon it was the print industry died in korea so it won't work here either um you know that's why webtoon was born was print industry did die in korea um so webtoon became successful well dom webtoon was first and then you know neighbor webtoon followed but yeah about a year later right and then uh so that mentality was inside the company, and then outside the company was just, you know, getting publishers to pay attention to this. And then, like, you know, and then manga publishers obviously know they you can bring successful content in from you know from places people aren't looking for it. But the manga industry still suffers from a lot of that. It's not taken as seriously despite the sales figures, as you know, walking now, walking in a bad example because the sales figures are high, but you can say saga, right? Like, I mean. My Hero Academia outsells Saga, you know, a million to one or whatever. Some, there's probably some ridiculous, you know, number, but you know, the rest of the industry is like, you know, hold so I mean, rightfully so, Saga is fantastic, but like holds Saga on a pedestal and My Hero Academia is something that like, oh, their kid brother reads and it's just a niche thing, right? Despite what we all know My Hero Academia to be.
0: So what do you look for in terms of creator or story when you look for someone to be a part of? rocket ship do they come to you or are you finding people that could be good fits
1: both mostly these days we're getting submissions uh from existing webcomic creators now that we've been around so long and have a sizable catalog a lot of it initially was me just chit-chatting with people i've worked with in the past um and saying hey we're doing this you'd be interested uh so what we're looking for you know in the first two years was really just titles i was already intimately familiar with um and seeing like hey we'd love to i'd love to keep working with you uh, you know, if you don't have an opportunity to print your book, here's one. <laughs> uh, so that was that was pretty easy. Now it's, if it's a webcomic, you know, I'd say the thing we look for is quality, right? So there's no one genre fit. We have a lot of romance books, obviously. Uh, we have a sizable amount of action books. We have, you know, Ryan Benjamin's Brothers Bond. We have Baby nieces and Riley Brown's Outrage. We're putting out Back Channel, which is the book I did with Andy Tong and Stan Lee. Um, I'm going to blank on some and urban animal uh, by justin jordan and john Ammer. uh yeah, so like we you know then we have you know a series of humor books which is water's of the old and adventures of god and Undead, the Dead, and there's more coming there and so and we're gonna do more horror i can tell you this we haven't announced it yet but uh because i saw you've already uh, interviewed him we just signed which creek road
0: oh awesome we love garth and we- yeah i just uh, say you just yeah. i saw you just interviewed garth
1: yeah um, so we'll be putting out Witch Creek Road, uh, but, you know, we're, and we're building more horror titles. But um, it's really just about, like, is it, is it really good? and Does it have a home? And then outside of that, it sort of doesn't matter. Like, we're not, you know, and I'm not anti-superhero either. Just That just hasn't ha- happened to have been a thing, right?
0: We're so happy for Garth and, uh, and Kanan. And before we move to our rapid fire round and close this out, uh, what does the future of Rocket Ship hold? We're launching tabletop games this year, so there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, the first
1: two are Brothers Bond, which is based on Ryan Benjamin's IZER nominated series. And the second uh, we announced in December, which is Stanley's Genesis, which is the first ever Stanley tabletop game. Um, wow, that's awesome! that uh, I'm designing that game and we're along, just coincidentally with Ryan, because I do a lot of work with him, Ryan's going to be, Ryan and I are creating 200 original characters for that title uh, for the game that we're working on until one in the morning, every night these days. Uh, so there's that we have, we're having our largest retail release this year. Cause we had just signed with Simon and Schuster last June. So retail is really ramping up. We're finally just got listed in diamond pretty recently, um, and got that buttoned up because uh, diamond had, you know, everyone had issues with the pandemic. So everything got delayed for everybody, but, um, so that's finally on track. Uh, we're going to have titles in foreign languages. So we'll have some announcements for that this year. Uh, we are, I'll just tell you, we're, there'll be a press release, but we are gonna put out, a, we are gonna uh, launch a separate Rocket Ship Kids line. Um, it's up on our site. Our first title in that kids line is Felix the Cat, uh, which we just signed a contract for that fairly recently. And that'll be followed by, we'll move Fox Fires, which is one of our uh, children's titles, all ages titles, that's just fantastic, um, into that line. And uh, there'll be a couple other titles going in there as well. Uh, we'll have five or six titles for Rocket Ship Kids this year. And then, gosh, there's there's stuff I can't talk about yet. Well, what you shared is
0: already incredibly exciting. We will be (laughs) on the lookout for more uh, uh, announcements. And Tom, just congrats on all of this. It's so exciting to see what you've done uh, for the industry. And before we close, are you ready for our rapid fire round? We'll fly through this. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, Which fictional character describes you best? Ooh, the Noid. The Noid. (laughs) which three webtoons would you uh take with you on a desert island all right that's a loaded
1: question because i published so many of them so (laughs) i can't (laughs) yeah i'm not answering
0: the webtoon one i'm sorry i can't
1: oh no all (laughs)
0: good can i I just say like 20 of them 30 of them (laughs) this one might be a little contentious too then if you could if you could pick a creator to have dinner with who would it be Oh well, I've had dinner with every creator I work with, so that's an easy
1: one. Who could I who would I have dinner with that I haven't been able to have dinner with the creator? I think it would probably have to be somebody like um, Alan Alan Moore, or you know, mm-hmm. someone sort of old school and legendary. Who you know, I, I've been I've had this sort of I've had a you know a very you know lucky career, that I've gotten to work with and uh, spend time with a lot of you know people in the field who I deeply admire. So it would probably just have to be somebody who's like really you know, kind of far away from what I've done, but still has stories of the past, I think, where I could learn a
0: lot. What's the most memorable scene from any comic or webtoon that pops into your mind?
1: Webtoon? Uh,
0: well, only because I just read it a few days ago was the latest chapter of Let's Play,
1: which was hilarious. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, um, but that was one of my favorites.
0: And then finally, if you could hang out with one fictional character, who would it be? Ooh, that's tough. Hang out with a fictional character. Who would it be?
1: I'll go with Bowser. Bowser.
0: <laughs> <point>. <laughs> wonderful. Well, Tom, thank you so much for taking some time and listener. Please check out RocketShipent.com. You can check out a bunch of wonderful comics there and look for any new updates, as Tom has mentioned. Tom, thanks once again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.